I am a bear, lost in the snow. Fur and fangs and fear and failure. Suddenly, five sharp knives cut into my head from behind. The fingers of a spectral hand, a fright's hand. It grips my mind, and I am wrenched away from it all. The bear man and his fear, the cold mountain snow. I am myself again, but I left something behind. From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exeser, Episode 12, Blade Fang. lab in the ebon mist, I wheezed and hacked. My skin was frigid, like I'd spent hours buried in a snowbank. Toast hovered just above, bathing me in a wave of red light from its emitter. Toast. He's okay, Quinn translated. She was kneeling by my side, hand on my shoulder. Behind her, Isolde was standing with her back turned. Quinn helped me sit up, and put a blanket around my shoulders. How long was I out? An hour. You had me worried. Shivering, I gripped the blanket tighter. I looked to Isolde. I assume you got all that? She didn't respond. It was then I noticed she was mumbling to herself. Her hands were outstretched and waving around in small, intricate patterns. It was unsettling. Had she been affected by the merging of my mind with Kuga's? Had something come through from the other side? Already I could feel a change within myself, a certain vulnerability. I couldn't place it exactly. A sickly feeling in my stomach, like I'd been talked into giving away something I didn't want to part with. She's been doing that for a while now. Quinn explained. She only stopped for a moment to wake you up. I think she's talking to somebody. Weakly, I eased myself into standing. Is old, I said. This time, she seemed to hear me. Her hands dropped. The jewels and beads on her antlers jingled breezily as she turned around. Despite her opaque eyes, I could tell she was meeting my gaze. Vondere, she said coolly. I am relieving you of this case. I shook my head, trying to make sense of her words. Pardon? I've reached out to my other agents. Several are returning shortly from an assignment in Ildeheim. I will send them to Bladefang Mountain to put an end to this threat. I tried to reply, but the words came like molasses. But, after all this, you've done an admirable job, Vondere. 
but we don't know how much Kuga or this Ananias managed to see into your mind. I can't risk them exploiting you, especially after they've already seeded into your dreams. My thoughts flashed as I weighed her words. She had a point. For all I knew, I could be one sleep away from being completely in their control. This Ananias seemed formidable, and Azul did not appear to be familiar with him. Suppose he found a way to use me to breach the mist's defenses. But something doesn't track, I thought. I could have understood if Isolde wanted to send me there with backup, or perhaps assign me to a support role. But why relieve me entirely when I am so familiar with the case? I began to think about what I'd seen of Kuga's memories, his most intimate moments, the events leading to his pact with Ananias. What if Kuga had seen the same of me, I wondered. Latent memories, revealed only in the dreamscape. If so, Kuga and Ananias would have access to something very precious, a secret previously known to Isolde alone. They know who I really am. Using all my focus to mask my surprise, I gave Isolde an accepting grimace. Understood. I will await your next assignment. Turn in your effects to Quinn. We'll keep you in your quarters. I will be posting a guard while you sleep, until we're sure this threat is dealt with. I nodded. Isolde flourished her hand in the air, and a pool of shadow enveloped her. She disappeared from the laboratory, leaving Quinn and I alone. Quinn scooped up the reader and made for one of her workbenches. Come on, Von Der, she said. I've been working on a device that warms up your hands on the go. It hardly ever explodes. You should try it. Quinn, I said carefully, how long have we been friends? My question stopped Quinn dead in her tracks. Without turning around, she sighed. Oh, no. Just listen to me, I said, stepping in front of her. I need to get to that mountain. Von Der, it's suicide. Isolde's right about the risks. And even if you survive, there's no telling what she'd do to you. I know. It's stupid, but I have to go. If there's even a remote chance I can learn what happened to me, those I cared about, I have to try. Isolde will never tell me the full truth. Yeah, and that's kind of the point. Quinn brushed past me, setting the reader down on the workbench with a sharp thud. You assume the memories she took away are ones you want back. What if you don't like what you see? What if Isolde's trying to protect you? I... I don't think... And even if you disagree, it doesn't matter. You made a pact, Fondair. If you break your pact, the ones you tried to save will die. I know it sounds insane, but... Quinn, something happened to me in Sunscape. I heard a song, and it caused me to remember a piece of my past. I... I think there's a loophole, Quinn. I pledged my memories to Isolde, yes, but suppose Kuga saw something in me, something hidden away. What if I can learn who I am without breaking my pact? You're risking everything, Von Der, Quinn said. 
It was the first time I had heard her snap at me. She walked away from me, running her hands through her hair. Your life, your loved one's lives, my life on the line if I help you. Did you consider that? Am I that expendable to you? Am I worth the risk? I fell silent. Quinn closed her human eye and took in a deep breath. For a moment we were still, our tension cushioned by the ambient buzzing and bubbling of the lab. I knew what I was asking of her. Quinn was the closest thing I had to a friend in this new life of mine. But she'd been Isolde's ally for centuries, and of her own accord. Rarely does that happen without some kind of bond, some deep personal investment. She had her own well-being to consider, before indulging my selfish quest. Damn it, Vondaire, I thought. How many lives are you going to ruin before it's all over? Please, Quinn, I whispered. It's... It's eating a hole inside of me. I'm going mad. I don't care what it is. I just need to know what brought me here. Even if I did help, Quinn said softly, Isolde's not going to let you use the mist doors. Not until we're sure you won't be possessed by Ananias. Maybe we don't need them, I said. From my bag, I retrieved the focus gems Obsidian gave me. I held them out to Quinn in an open palm. Her eyes flared in awe, and with hawk-like intensity, she studied them. By the five, she breathed. Where in the pit did you... A friend, I said simply. Look, two of them are empty. If there's some way we can charge them with the mist's power... Then you might be able to open a remote portal, Quinn finished. We met eyes. There was intrigue in Quinn's face, even a hint of excitement. But it was muted with apprehension, the knowledge that a line was about to be crossed. This... This is on you, Von Der, she said, her voice shaky. If Isolde asks... This is just another project I'm looking into. I've put too much into this life to risk it. I won't hesitate to point fingers. I nodded. She took the focus gems from me. As she did, her hand rested on mine a moment, then squeezed warmly. Though her voice quivered, her grip did not. I placed my hand over hers. Thank you, Quinn. Don't thank me yet. Now give me your effects and get to your quarters. I'll signal when I'm ready. I gave her the phantom ring and the raven dust. Without another word, I made for the lab's exit, trying to ignore the sinking feeling in my stomach. This will not end well for someone, I thought. I prayed to every god I could name that someone would just be me. In my quarters, I bathed and changed my clothes. I wore the jerkin, silk shirt, and breeches I had worn in gray sky. I ate a conjured plate of apple-glazed ham and seasoned leeks. Then I laid on my four-poster bed, listening to the crackle of my fireplace. 
Outside my door, I heard the shuffling of the guard's feet. Out of curiosity, I tried to will my quarters to disappear, as I could in the past. They didn't budge. Isolde had sealed me inside. I thought about my plan. Everything hinged on Quinn's ability to decipher the focus gems. If she couldn't crack it, then I was stuck here. It could be hours before the Everwake threat was resolved. Or it could be months. Maybe Ananias would get the better of his old anyway, and the Ebon Mist would be invaded. Maybe Kuga would continue to spread his demon's teeth across Exesor, quietly taking out powerful figures and laying the groundwork for a second Urso rebellion. But if I could escape... I thought about what Quinn said. The odds were high that I would not survive. Myself versus dozens of possessed Urso, controlled by a fright who deals in nightmares. Yet there was something about Kuga that stayed with me ever since I saw into his memories. He had his doubts, even after the pact was made. He had done terrible things, yes, but in his heart he still believed in honor. I recalled the phrase he kept using in my dreams. Yurashkata. Closed eyes are always lost. Was it a cry for help? Having seen into my mind as I had his, would there be a spark of empathy in him? Could he be turned against his master's wishes? A knock on my door pulled me from my thoughts. I rose from the bed and opened the door. The guard faced me. His face was glamoured by the mist, and I could not remember his features. Isolde did not like her agents knowing more than they needed to about each other. You have a visitor, the guard said. Over his shoulder, I saw a toast floating tranquilly. The metal orb glided past the guard into my quarters. Lady Quinn informed us of your... condition, the guard continued. Said she might need to perform some tests. Toast. Toast agreed. Trying not to smile, I waved at the guard. Much obliged. I shut the door. Toast bobbed through the air over to my bed. To my surprise, a small hatch opened up on the lower half of the orb. I grinned as several familiar items fell out of the hatch onto the bed. The phantom ring. The raven dust. The focus gems. The two previously empty gems now glowed with a swirling black light. Among the items was a folded square of parchment. I picked it up and opened it. Quinn's handwriting was instantly recognizable. It read, Vondaire. It took some doing, but I think I've got it. The gems react to mental command. The shadow gems should have enough charge for one trip apiece. Make sure you have your destination pictured firmly. I can't guarantee what'll happen if you don't. Also, I overheard Isolde talking to one of her agents. If you see Ananias, pay attention to Corin, that big suit of armor protecting him. It doesn't seem to stray far from him. There might be a reason. 
destroy this letter after you read it. And Von Der, please be careful. Yours, Quinn. P.S. Tweaked the phantom ring a bit. While you wear it, think about your thick skull and see what happens. Snorting, I tossed the letter into the fireplace. As it curled and blackened in the hearth, I put on the phantom ring. I closed my eyes and thought about, well, about how I had a thick skull. I felt a swirl of mist congeal over my entire body. Opening my eyes, I saw I was covered in a full suit of scale armor. The scales looked like flecks of polished jet, and the armor as a whole felt completely weightless, though I noted my movement was still restricted. Dismissing the armor, I put on my traveling boots and cloak. I put the raven dust and focus gems in a leather pouch on my belt. I turned to face Toast, whose unblinking red lens watched me with rapt attention. You're all right, Toast, I said. Give Quinn my thanks. Toast, said the orb, dipping down and up in what seemed like a pantomimed head nod. I opened the door to let Toast out. Shutting it again, I went to the center of my room and took out one of the shadow gems. Closing my right hand around it, I shut my eyes and tried to picture where I needed to go. First, I thought of the cave I'd seen in Kuga's memory, where he'd first met Ananias. I pictured the rectangular hall, with the high obsidian walls and ceiling, the black and gold altar. A jolt pierced my right hand, coursing through my body. I froze and felt suddenly numb and distant to the sensations of the room around me. I watched the room begin to swirl away into a tunnel of shadows. Suddenly, in my mind's eye, I saw a tall, lithe figure entering, unbidden, into the obsidian hall. He gave a wide, oppressive smile, his chipped glass eye glinting. He stretched a bony hand towards me, and all at once the room around him darkened. His eyes hollowed out, his face withered, and I heard a high-pitched scream through a vacuum. Instinctively, I reeled back. Ah! I yelled, collapsing to the floor. The vision was gone. My senses returned, and I found myself still in my room. The focus gem was still in my hand. Ananias must be there, I thought, catching my breath. He's blocking my entry. Another knock on the door. Mr. Von Der? Came the guard's voice. Is everything all right? Fine, I hollered. Just tripped over the rug. It was far from my best lie. After a moment, though, the guard replied, Right then. Just let me know if you need anything. Of course, I said. Thank you. I stood up rolling the gem in my palm. Where else could I go, I wondered. I thought about Miss Liger's recording, the cave opening with the falls, where the possessed Urso were unpacking crates of demon's teeth. From what I remembered, that area seemed fairly high up on the mountain. What's more, those bears were still asleep. Controlled, yes, 
but perhaps unaware of their surroundings. There was a chance I could sneak by unnoticed and work my way higher up the mountain. Stealing myself with a deep breath, I closed my hand over the focus gem again. Here goes nothing, I thought, as I fixed the location in my mind. Again the jolt in my hand. Again my body seized. The room around me melted into a swirl of shadows. I entered the void, bereft of feeling or sensation. Echoes chased me as I raced through the tunnel. A swarm of bees filling the air with their cutting chorus. A distant volcano rumbling with dormant rage. An Adenist choir singing praises to the five sisters. Lovers in the throes of passion. Horse-drawn carriages. Thunderclaps. A pinprick of light emerged at the end of the tunnel, and before I exited, I could hear the heavy crash of water, feel the frosty wind, smell the toxic smoke. I fell out of the tunnel, into the Urso Den on Blade Fang Mountain. The first thing I noticed was that I couldn't breathe. The smoke from the pyres of burning demon's teeth permeated the air. Pulling my shirt up over my face, I tried to get my bearings. I was on the left side of the falls overlooking the cave's mouth. Dozens of crates lined the walls, with just as many sleepwalking Urso unloading the contents onto carriages and wheelbarrows. Almost immediately, an Urso stepped into my line of sight. I started, then relaxed. Sure enough, the sleepwalker's eyes were shut their focus solely on their assigned tasks. Still, I shouldn't push my luck, I thought. My eyes raised the area for the nearest hiding spot. I found one, an empty crate discarded in the corner of the cave. I went to it, lifting the top of the crate and jumping inside. The inside of the crate was coated in the vinegary stench of the teeth. I did my best to breathe as little as possible. I didn't know how much of the fumes it would take to put me under, but I wasn't keen on finding out. I opened the crate's lid a crack and examined the rest of the space. I noted something I hadn't seen before in Miss Liger's recording. On the rim of the cave's mouth, the Urso had built a large elevator, leading to various levels of the mountain. Judging from the look of this area, I presumed the teeth were unpacked and processed here, and then distributed on the other levels. I marveled a moment at the complexity of this operation, and right in the heart of the Urso's most sacred mountain, the center of their religion. How did something so insidious take hold so quickly? I heard a gravelly voice barking orders from far to my right. It was Kuka. He was watching the operation from a platform above the waters. The same platform where Miss Liger had stood. I watched him descend the steps onto the opposite side of the falls to inspect a batch of the teeth one of his fellow Urso were transporting. While he was distracted, I stepped out of the crate and picked up its lid. I made my way to the steps leading up to the platform, eyeing the surrounding Urso. They all seemed as entranced by their work as they did in Miss Liger's recording. As I crested the platform, 
I began to hear Kuga's voice rise above the rolling waters below. This batch is wilted. He snarled at the Urso transporting the crate. It won't burn properly. Throw it in the falls. The Urso obeyed, and they both turned towards the falls. I reached the other side of the platform and crouched down low, propping the lid up against the cave wall to obscure myself. I peeked around the corner of the lid. While the other Urso performed his duties, Kuga continued on towards the lift. He stepped inside the lift's cab, signaling for someone above him to activate the pulley system. The lift gave a creaking groan as it started to ascend. Abandoning the lid, I ran towards the lift. The spellbound Urso took no notice of me as I closed in on the slowly rising cab. Before it could get too high, I leapt up and seized a metal rung underneath the cab. Breathing deeply, I held on as the cab rose through the shaft, willing myself not to look down. I felt the ice wind nip at my face, frosting my hands as they gripped the cold metal. It wasn't long before my arms began to protest. The smoke from the cave had gotten to me, and I soon felt that I was having to try too hard to catch my breath. The cab rose at a plodding pace. It was only then that I remembered Bladefang being one of the highest mountains in Exesur. How many levels were on this mountain, and how far apart were they? Please tell me this doesn't go all the way to the top. My right hand slipped off the rung. My left grip tightened in response, and my entire left arm screamed in agony. I grit my teeth, willing myself not to let go. Summoning strength from deep within, I hoisted my right arm back up and regained purchase on the rung. The shaft rattled and shook, buffeted by the wild mountain wind. I felt nauseous, dizzy. My teeth chattered, my lungs heaved. I didn't know how much more I could take. Blissfully, the lift came to a stop. The cab jolted as it locked into place, and my body flailed with it. Above me, I heard Kuga step off the cab's platform and start up a trail. I listened for other bodies above me. I heard the shuffling of feet, but no words. More sleepwalkers, I hoped. Inspecting the shaft, I noted the wooden paneling was shoddily reinforced. Product of hasty construction, I guessed. I curled my arms and brought my head closer to the bottom of the cab. With a lurch of my torso, I pushed off from the metal rung and kicked at the shaft's paneling. With a couple kicks, one of the panels snapped off and fell away. I reached outward and took hold of one of the shaft's remaining panels, climbing out onto the exterior of the lift. Immediately I felt the panels quivering under the added weight. As the snow blanketed my eyes, I attempted to climb up and around the shaft onto the cab's platform. Suddenly, one of the wooden panels snapped off. I reeled back, summoned a phantom dagger, and plunged it into the side of the shaft for support. I stabilized. Taking a moment to thank the gods, I completed the maneuver and landed inside the lift's cab. While my entire body burned from exhaustion, I took in my new surroundings. The lift operator, 
another sleepwalker, followed Kuga up a paved mountain path. The path led up to a large temple-like structure, resting on a flat precipice on the side of the mountain. It was built to look like a cave, a dome-like ivory exterior with jagged stone-like points jutting out. The entrance was carved to look like a bear's roaring face. Kuga and his thrall were entering the bear's mouth. I raced up the path after them. Inside the temple, there was a large, circular chamber with a reflecting pool in the center. A fire burned in a kiln underneath the pool to keep it from freezing over. A skylight hung at the highest point of the dome, shining light over the water. Laying next to the pool was an ornate steel war axe with a treated leather-wrapped handle. Underneath the pool were dozens of pits, each full of slumbering urso. Chimes of brass and wood sang in the breeze. Incense poured through small vents in each pit. The bears did not appear to be in pain or imprisoned. In fact, these urso seemed more at peace than any I had ever seen. Kuga crossed the edge of the reflecting pool. He gripped the edges of the basin and peered into the water. His thrall descended into one of the pits, where he promptly laid down to sleep. I stood at the temple's opening, watching Kuga for a time. It was a painterly moment. Two foes, joined only by a shared dream, meeting for the first time in a temple on top of the world, with naught but snow and chimes and the sleeping to bear witness. I suppose it had to be here, he said slowly. His words echoed grandly throughout the temple. He turned to face me. He was wearing the same garb I saw in my dream. The malong, the bandolier, the necklace. He outstretched his arms. Well, where is your blade, Claude Van Der? Where are your arrows, your calls for my death? I took a few steps forward. I've come to offer you a chance for redemption. Is that what you call this? Blaspheming your people's sacred traditions? Violating them in their sleep to serve your own selfish purpose? Do not speak to me about selfishness. The Urso roared. The walls of the temple rattled, and his rage rang in my ears long after the echoes faded. I do this for all Urso, today and for generations to come. They will understand, once they see the southern powers brought to their knees by the very sleep they so callously take for granted. And what of Ananias? Have you stopped to wonder what he's getting out of all this? Feeding off of people's nightmares, growing stronger by the day. Kuga laughed, somewhat forcedly. <laughs> I... We have an understanding. He and I, 
humans, Drelish, Kikte, Wula. There are plenty of other souls to torture. He need not come for us. For now. But suppose he becomes too powerful and decides to change his mind. Who's going to stop him then? You? Kuga shook his head and began to pace around the reflecting pool. There, there is no stopping him. Any of them. We are but playthings to these frights. Your resolve is the same. I saw as much when I looked into your mind, Von Dare. So he did see something, I thought. So help me change it, I said, stepping closer still. I saw your story, Kuga. You know this is wrong in your heart. Resist him. Help me put an end to this. He met my eyes again. Exhaustion wore his skin like a ragged glove. Perhaps it was a trick of the light, but I thought I saw a glimmer of tears welling up over the purple bags in his eyes. Just want to. Suddenly, the bear man fell to his knees. All at once, the fire in the kiln was snuffed out, and the wind went still. The sky darkened, and the air grew somehow colder. From all around us, I heard a high, lilting voice trailing on the wind. Oh, Kuga. I wish I could say I am disappointed. From behind me, I heard the clatter of heavy metal footsteps. I turned just in time to see Corrin approaching. I summoned my phantom armor just in time for Corrin to strike me with his gauntleted hand. I was launched backwards into the air, and I slammed onto the ground near Kuga. Winds knocked clear out of me. I writhed in pain. My eyesight blurred, my focus waned. The phantom armor disappeared, and try as I might, I could not call it back. Above me, I saw Kuga clutching his head, whispering fearfully to himself. Then, I heard the low din of scores of bears rousing from sleep below us. I looked into the pits. The sleeping Urso rose in unison their sleepy mumblings growing into hungry moans. Aggressively, they made for the steps leading out of their pits towards me. Kuga, I panted. Kuga, come on, we've got to get out of... Something heavy and sharp tore into my stomach. I screamed until my ears went numb. Kuga loomed over me clutching the war axe now embedded in my torso. His eyes were shut tight, pure rage and terror dominating his face. Before I could say another word, the bear man opened his maw and tore into the side of my neck. I choked as blood cascaded up my throat and out of my neck. My body was a wasteland of scarlet viscera. The weight of the bear man's paws crushed my ribcage, as a chorus of his fellow beasts gathered around to watch me be eaten alive. Fear shows us who we truly are, Claude Von Der. You came here 
are searching for yourself, allow me to show you. Echoes of Exeser is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand, freesound.org, and Sword Coast Soundscapes on YouTube. Link in the description. Questions, comments, email us at echoesofxeser at gmail.com.